Welcome to First Words, a podcast presented by the First United Methodist Church of Florence. Today's message is brought to you by Senior Pastor Rev. Dale Cohen. James Howell characterizes Naaman's story, what Emily just read for us, as a riveting story of brokenness, humility, and healing. Naaman was a mighty warrior, but, and there's always a but, isn't there? He was a leper. Maybe he was able to cover up his embarrassing lesions with battle armor, or if they were still visible, maybe with threats of retribution who anybody called attention, who called attention to his shameful condition. Naaman's powerful and imposing presence as a warrior contrasts with the meek, mild-mannered young Jewish girl who served as servant to Naaman's wife. The girl was a slave. She was the spoils of a previous battle. Yet, surprisingly, she exhibits tenderness and compassion toward Naaman and his wife. Scripture says she said to her mistress, if Only my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his skin disease. Having tried other remedies without success, Naaman desperately rushes off to see Elijah. Naaman rumbles up to Elisha's house with his large entourage bearing gold and expensive gifts, fully expecting to have to pay for his healing. Elisha, though, is unimpressed with this visitor and doesn't even come out the front door to see him. Rather, he sends instructions for Naaman to go and wash seven times in the Jordan River. Naaman was incensed. The Scripture says, But Naaman became angry and went away, saying, I thought that for me, and in the Hebrew, that for me has extra emphasis. I thought that for me, he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and would wave his hand over the spot and cure the skin disease. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? Well, you would think as desperate as he was for healing that he wouldn't be so arrogant, but yet his arrogance is on full display. Bathing in the Jordan River seems like a ludicrous plan to Naaman, and rightly so, because if you've been to Israel and you've been to the Jordan River, you know that it's really not a river at all. As a matter of fact, during the dry season, it's really more like just a a trickling trickling stream. It's, it's hardly anything. So, Naaman thinks that the cure should be more sophisticated, more impressive, like dipping in the pools at the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the world, or applying some exotic and expensive salve imported from Ethiopia. Well, thankfully, at least for Naaman, his servants convince him to reconsider The Scripture records, But Naaman's servants approached and said to him, Father, 
If the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, you would have done it. How much more when all he said to you was, wash and be clean. So Naaman went down and immersed himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. His flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. Well, Elisha's simple cure was an invitation for Naaman to try on a little bit of humility. Instead of relying on his money and his power, Naaman needed to humble himself and commit to this unusual baptism in a muddy creek, trusting in a God that he didn't know, that is, if he were ever going to be healed. Naaman was in the messy, the messy middle of a reset, needing to come to terms with how he constantly got in the way of what he really needed. Robert Cushman says, faith is the crumpling of pride. Today we're exploring the messy middle of a reset, the place between the high energy of the start, of getting started, and, and the joy of the success at the end. It's all that stuff in the middle that we still have to go through in order to get to that place of success. It's a place of volatility, uncertainty, and ambiguity. But it's also where we'll grow if we're willing to persevere. The messy middle is an opportunity ripe with possibilities for those who are open to the challenge. Let's face it, the last several years haven't been easy. Even before the pandemic, the pace of life was already overwhelming. The technology that was supposed to save us time, well, it hasn't saved us any time. The institutions that we relied on for centuries, like the church and government, well, we just don't trust them anymore. It's a messy time, but it's also a hopeful time because God is not as done with our institutions and ourselves as we are. And I would also say that God is not done with each other as much as we are. God is still at work in this time, accomplishing great things for those who have the eyes to see and the ears to hear. So, how do we persevere through the messy middle? The initial step is to trust facts, not feelings. Naaman let his emotions get in the way. First, he was offended because Elisha didn't come out and greet him. But then he was offended because the cure didn't seem to match Naaman's expectations of what it should be. Naaman felt disrespected and almost left before he got what he came for, and that was the healing. His feelings were getting in the way. When we're overwhelmed, it's easy for us to start thinking in absolutes. We say, oh, everything's bad. Or, there's no way I can handle this. Or, things are totally out of control. And finally, well, it's the end of the world. Yes, it may feel that way. But no, everything isn't all bad. 
Yes, you can handle the tough situation that you're going through now because you've managed other difficult situations pretty well. Life is not spinning out of control and no, it's not the end of the world. We get ahead of ourselves when we allow our emotions to determine our response. Take a deep breath, say a prayer, and look to God to ground you in the reality of this moment, to give you a picture of what's really going on. The Apostle Paul said this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So, when you feel overwhelmed in that messy middle, focus on what is true and not just your feelings. And here's the funny thing. If you focus on the reality of what's going on, then eventually your feelings will follow and you'll feel strengthened to deal with the situation. Attend to your emotions, but focus on the facts. The second step in persevering through the messy middle is to refocus, to regroup. When we're in the middle of a reset, we want everything to be resolved immediately. However, growth requires time, energy, and unfortunately, a lot of trial and error. For you see, the path to the life we want is not a straight line. It's actually very curvy. So, we must focus on what we hope to achieve with our reset. Naaman almost walked away from the chance he had for healing because he started focusing on the wrong things. It was only after Naaman's servants helped him regroup that he could make a better decision. So amidst any reset that we face, let's be clear about what we hope to achieve and let's stay focused on the desired result. Paul, again, in Ephesians, declared this focus. He said, I pray that according to the riches of His glory, God may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through His Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. Growth is not instantaneous. It's a series of progressive steps toward the life we want. But there's just one problem. When we're trying to focus, there are all kinds of distractions that want to take our attention away. John Eldridge says there are three mental spaces where we live, and, and most of us operate in all three, but we move back and forth. The first space is what he calls the shallows. The shallows are where many distractions bombard us. Thoughts like, what am I going to have for lunch? Or what do I think about the email that I got? Or uh, what about uh, that video that I just watched on social media? Or the words or the melody of a song that we remembered from high school that we just can't stop going through our brains. These are the shallows. 
These thoughts are like fluttering butterfly of randomly connected thoughts that constantly occupy our minds. But the problem is this is where most of us live. We live in the shallows. The second space that Eldridge describes he calls the Midlands. This space represents what the scriptures refer to as the cares of life. It's thoughts about what will we do with our aging parents. It's worrying about how we're going to be able to pay for our kids to go to college. It's that nagging feeling about why there's been a lack of advancement in our careers or the distancing we feel in our relationship with our spouse. The Midland space is more intense than the shallows because these concerns gnaw at us. And even though we want to go deep inside, we can't because these concerns just keep pulling us back up to the surface, consuming us with the what-ifs and the worries of life. Our goal is to move into the third area, and the psalmist referred to this as our innermost being. In Psalm 139, we read, For you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Eldridge refers to this inmost being as the depths. The depths are the places where we intimately interact with God. Now, because of distractions, the distractions are at work trying to pull us away from intimacy with God, trying to keep us connected to all the unimportant things. But when God created us, according to the psalmist, God created us with a desire for God. And only God can satisfy that desire. And so the distractions that pull us away from our, our time with God actually leave us feeling empty and alone. These distractions cause us to pursue lesser desires than God. Augustine said it best. He said, Thou hast made us for Thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in Thee. To persevere through the messy middle requires fighting against the demands for our attention by creating and then entering a place of silence and solitude, saying, I'm going to give my full attention to God. Prayer and meditation are essential to our spiritual development because when we pray, think about this, we have to go to the interior because the Bible teaches us about where we pray to Jesus, that Jesus is in our hearts. Jesus is not out there. And so if we stay out there with all the distractions, we miss the opportunity to connect with the God who dwells within. That's the depths. That's the place we want to go. Here's a simple assignment. Later today and every day for 60 days, set the timer on your phone for 90 seconds and commit to spending those 90 seconds in the presence of God. And do it every day. Now, it'd be great if you could spend 20 minutes. You've probably heard people say, oh, you know, you need to set aside 20 or 30 minutes to spend time with God. I'm just asking you for 90 seconds. 
And the reason that I'm asking you for 90 seconds is because if you do that, and if the focus of that time is for you to truly connect with God, and, and a way to do that would be just to repeat over and over again in that 90 seconds, thank you God for loving me. Thank you God for loving me. Thank you God for loving me. Just do that for 90 seconds. And if you do it for 60 days, I guarantee you there's going to be a huge difference in your life because you will begin to know what it feels like to be in the presence of God. And you'll long for that, that you'll crave that, that you'll set aside any distractions that will keep you from doing that. And again, it's just 90 seconds. Start there. And I think what you'll find is that over time, you need more than 90 seconds because of the way you feel God's presence. Now, it's harder than you think, even 90 seconds. It's harder than you think because your mind will be all over the place, but stick with it. Brother Lawrence, in 17th century France, wrote of the difficulty of staying focused. He said, do not be discouraged by the resistance you will encounter from your human nature. You must go against your human inclinations. Often, in the beginning, you will think that you are wasting time, but you must go on, be determined, and persevere in it until death, despite all the difficulties. I'd love to hear about it if you try it, because I know I'm going to hear some wonderful stories if you do. Well, finally, getting through the messy middle of a reset requires embracing humility. Naaman was powerful and wealthy, and he was accustomed to getting everything that he wanted when he wanted it. But he couldn't get healed. So, when his money and power couldn't buy his health, you would think that he would have been more humble, but he wasn't. When we're in the messy middle of a reset, the only way through is to let go of our pride, to let go of our independence, to let go of our need to be in control. In other words, we need to let God work in the circumstances of the in-between time. Because if we tell God, okay, God, this is exactly what needs to happen now, we don't allow God room to do what only God can do. Now, let's not miss the fact that when Naaman stepped back up on the riverbank after dipping in the river seven times, he was transformed. His skin that had been that of a diseased man was that of a healthy young boy. The Scripture says his flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. He became like a child again. I love how the Old Testament previews the new birth of baptism and calls us to begin again with humility and vulnerability as if we were children. The messy middle is full of problems and difficulties, and the reality is sometimes we're going to fail miserably. But since we can't save ourselves, since we have to rely on God, then we just want to trust God to see us through. But I also think it's important to think about our baptism. The same rite that we used here this morning when we baptized Raymond, it's an initiation into the family of God. And so, 
during the tough times, if we can remember the words that were inherently spoken to us at our baptism, which are the words that God spoke over the baptism of Jesus when John baptized him, this is my beloved child. We belong to God. And God will not abandon His children. So no matter how messy it gets, God will not abandon us. God will be with us. So if you're in the messy middle and it feels like things are spiraling out of control, maybe you feel as if you've lost all hope and dignity. Maybe you're feeling as if there's no way out then this is the time to remember that you belong to God. God is our Father who protects us. We have nothing to fear, and we can trust that He will be with us as we humbly call on His name. He will see us through. Hang on for the victory that is already ours. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen and amen. Thank you for listening to First Words. For more information about our services or how to get involved in our community, visit us at fumcflorence.org or facebook.com slash florencefumc.